and I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, saying, Come and see. Thunder Radio with Christian J. Pento. Okay, praise the Lord, you guys, and welcome. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we are going to talk about what is going on in the news. Here we are just one week away from the official Christmas celebration. For those who are wondering, yes, we are going to do our annual Christmas program, but this is not that program. Uh, We're recording this program today, but then we're gonna do the uh, Christmas show here in a few days, but I am planning to post it before the 25th. As many of you are aware, uh, we've been editing round the clock trying to get the new documentary completed. Things are coming along well. Uh, I like the way it looks. I like the way it sounds, the music. You're going to be hearing some very, very original music. We have probably the most diverse musical score uh, for this film that we've had on any of our projects. Um, but, um, But I really like the music. So anyway, so that is forthcoming. All right, so today on the program, we are going to talk about a number of major stories that are happening. Probably the number one story for our Noise of Thunder radio audience would be the fact that Pope Francis, the first Jesuit pope in Roman Catholic history, has now given the okay for priests to give their blessing to same-sex relations or same-sex unions. And of course, uh, as we go over this, and we listen to some of the news stories you're going to hear. The, the, the introduction of it, it's just so typical, the Jesuit sophistry involved, where on the one hand, yes, it is uh, giving kind of an unofficial blessing to same-sex couples, but cannot be considered equal to approving of gay marriage, etc., whatever. They're using all of this Jesuitical back-and-forth type language, which is, I think, deliberately engineered to be deceptive and to have that element of plausible deniability so that the more conservative Catholics, if they object and they say, well, well, the Pope is officially approving gay marriage, then they can turn and say, well, no, officially, that's not what's happening. It's not equal to a blessing for a marriage. It's a different kind of blessing, etc. And so there's, there's all of this intellectual juggling and, and rhetoric that is endlessly confusing and I think deliberately engineered to be so. But let's listen to uh, one of the uh, stories on this uh, just and some of the discussion that's going with it and what people are saying in the Catholic community. Listen. Learning more about a major milestone for the Roman Catholic Church, Pope Francis has granted formal approval for priests to bless same-sex couples, but the Vatican is stopping short of allowing those blessings to be part of regular church rituals. ABC's Justin Finch reports. 
Roman Catholics worldwide reacting to a seismic shift from the Vatican. Pope Francis now permitting Roman Catholic priests to bless same-sex marriages. I think that's a great step forward. I think that's wonderful news, to be honest. We, are, we just, the Bible just says that it's not, um, that you shouldn't do that. So, yeah. The Pope's approval reverses the church's position from just two years ago when it said it could not bless same-sex couples, saying because God does not bless sin. It's a major step forward for LGBTQ Catholics, and it's really the first time uh, that there's been any sort of opening to blessing same-sex couples, so it's a big deal. The new Vatican ruling allows same-sex marriages to be blessed separately from regular church rituals, a distinction underscoring the church's unchanged stance on marriage. Okay, so there you hear from the way the story is being presented, the back and forth that supposedly... The, the Pope is now giving the priests the approval to bless same-sex unions and marriages, etc. Yet, the position on marriage somehow remains unchanged, they say. Uh, this is, I mean, it's, it's just deceptive sophistry. This is the sophistry and casuistry of Jesuitism that we're listening to there. Uh, that's what it is. It's it's very, very deceptive. It's manipulative. And of course, what they're eventually going to do, this is they're going to progress this thing, just like when Bill Clinton uh, put gays in the U.S. military through the don't ask, don't tell policy that allowed them to put gays into the military and then say, well, don't ask and you don't tell. And but that got them in. Then once they're there, they eventually, as they did under Obama, simply do away with the don't ask, don't tell policy. And now they fully embrace homosexuals uh, in the military. So this, I believe, is what they're going to do eventually. They're just this is a way of getting the, the 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 gay marriage issue into fully into the Catholic system and eventually they'll do away with this distinction between this kind of blessing versus a you know, full approval uh, in terms of defining marriage uh, between a man and a woman. That will be done away with, and marriage will be defined however anybody wants to define it. It's a catastrophic move internationally. And I've talked about this before. You had the... Um, Years ago, it's probably been about 10 years now, when you had the Archbishop of Canterbury was confronted on the issue of same-sex marriage and whether or not the Anglican Church would give their official approval to it. And the Archbishop of Canterbury told a story about how he had been in Africa, in a small village there in Africa, and there were Christians, two to three hundred Christians that were living in this village. And... A short distance away, there was another village of Muslims. And the Muslims were there, and they were talking about the fact that these Christians lived a short distance away. And they said to themselves, uh, they said, well, these, there's Christians over here, and we've seen through the media that Christianity promotes homosexuality. 
So if we let these Christians live next to us, then they are going to come over here and try to turn us all into homosexuals. So they took up arms, went to the Christian village and wiped out, mass murdered over 200 Christians in that village because the Western world, Western media is being allowed to give the impression, the false impression that Christianity somehow or other approves of homosexual practices. When in fact, that is a false testimony Christianity has never approved of homosexual practices or behavior at all, whether it's, you know, homosexuality or transgenderism. Uh, the Bible condemns two men interacting, two women interacting in that way. Uh, the Bible also condemns men putting on women's clothing. The man shall not put on that clothing that pertains unto the woman. All they that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. The same for women dressing up like men. Uh, this, is, this is specifically and repeatedly condemned in the Scripture. So it is a, it's simply a false impression. And I personally believe that, if anything, laws should be passed to forbid mainstream media from promoting the idea of LGBT as some kind of a, a Christian behavior. Uh, but to make it clear that, no, this is not Christian behavior, Christianity has always banned and forbidden this kind of behavior because it's forbidden in the Bible. But the false witness, think about what the Bible says, that among the things that God hates is a false witness speaking lies. People, at least on that one occasion, according to the Archbishop of Canterbury, people who profess to be Christians have been murdered because of this false testimony. And I believe the Western world has a responsibility to faithfully and accurately represent the Christian religion to the rest of the world. And that's where we are dropping the ball right now in America and really throughout the Western world by allowing all of this to go on. And I think about what Jesus said to the church in Revelation, where he says, I have somewhat against you because you allow that woman Jezebel to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, etc. There is a responsibility that the church has collectively uh, not to permit this kind of teaching to go on. Now, exactly where the boundaries should be, how that should be approached, that, I think, is something really that church leaders should be discussing going forward. That should be the next conversation. But unfortunately, what's happening is Christians who actually believe the Bible are on retreat. In other words, all the progress is being made in favor of perversion. It's perverts on the march. What we need are Christians, convicted Christians on the march, demanding that laws be passed to forbid this kind of thing from being normalized in the name of Christ, in the name of the Christian religion. Now, those of you who have been listening to our Noise of Thunder podcast for a while, you know that back in 2013, when Pope Francis was first appointed as the new pope and Benedict stepped down, that was kind of a surprise shift there. 
Uh, normally, the popes serve until they pass away, but they changed that tradition. Uh, so they brought in Francis, the first official Jesuit pope. The reason I say it that way is because, as you're going to learn in our new documentary, to be a Jesuit does not necessarily mean you're a Jesuit priest. There are priests who are of a different order, but they work as agents, if you will, for the Jesuits in a covert manner. And we talk about that in the film. But uh, Francis is the first official Jesuit who's a member of the Jesuit order from Argentina, which I think is very, very important. You study the history of Argentina, especially with the connection to the Nazis and how Nazis were smuggled into Argentina and South America after the war. I don't believe it's an accident that Francis is from Argentina. But anyway, um, so but I said at the time when he was first appointed in 2013 that it will not surprise me if during his time as the pope they approve same-sex marriage, that that is not going to surprise me. I couldn't predict exactly whether or not it would happen, but there's no question that everything Francis has done has been toward promoting the whole idea of gay marriage and the LGBT agenda. Of course, he elevated the Jesuit James Martin with this recent synod that they had and gave him an official position that ordinarily somebody as controversial as he is would not obtain. But there's no question the Vatican is fully promoting the LGBT agenda at this point. They just haven't completely taken their restraints off as of yet. All right, let's do this. We are going to go to a commercial break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the new flag for the state of Minnesota, if you can believe it. It appears that the Somali Muslims have conquered the state of Minnesota. At least that's what some people are saying. They're saying that the state of Minnesota has now been claimed by Islam or the Somali Muslims uh, because the state flag seems to represent uh, at least two flags in Somalia. We'll talk about that after the break. We're also going to talk about a new trailer that's been released called Civil War that seems to predict a civil war in the United States of America in the not-too-distant future. We're going to talk about both of those issues when we come back right after this. Adullam Films presents a stunning new documentary, The True Christian History of America, exploring the Bible-based Christian origins of the early American view of freedom, tracing the principles of liberty back to England and the Great Reformation. For many years, our schools have taught that the founding of our Republic was from the Deists or the Enlightenment in France. But is that truly the case? Did the Enlightenment first declare no taxation without representation or trial by jury? Were they the champions of freedom of speech or of the press or the right to bear arms? 
And why did Samuel Adams declare that the reign of political Protestantism would commence just before signing the Declaration of Independence? Filmed on location in both the United States and Europe, The True Christian History of America is now available at adullamfilms.com. That's adullamfilms.com. Now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Adullam Films presents an exciting new documentary, Bridge to Babylon, part three in an award-winning series on the untold history of the Bible. Dr. Jack Moorman calls it a masterful presentation of what is the single most important issue facing Christians today, the defense of the Bible as the Word of God. Why was the Bible changed in 1881? Why have so many churches abandoned biblical inerrancy? And what direction are scholars taking the scriptures today? Learn the truth in Bridge to Babylon, the sequel to A Lamp in the Dark and Tares Among the Wheat. Bridge to Babylon is now available at noiseofthunderradio.com. That's noiseofthunderradio.com. Noise of Thunder Radio. Okay, we are back. Praise the Lord, you guys. I'm Chris Pinto. This is Noise of Thunder Radio. Today on the show, we've been uh, talking about this uh, new revelation with Pope Francis. And what is this going to mean for the Catholic Church in America? I mean, you've already got people who, who have been saying for the longest time that there's going to be a new reformation within the Catholic Church, because you have a lot of conservative Catholics who are not, they're not going along with what's happening. They're, they're not... Uh, they're not at all happy about it. But, you know, this has been a pattern with Catholics. And I think I think the history is something that if you're Catholic, you need to go and study. During Vatican Council One, part of the research that I've had to do for the documentary involves the Jesuits back in the 19th century in Germany with Otto von Bismarck. Now, I knew that Bismarck expelled the Jesuits and that he did so because of Vatican Council I, which is where they officially declared the Pope to be infallible. What I've learned that I did not know before is that part of the reason Bismarck, who was a very staunch Protestant, part of the reason he expelled the Jesuits from Germany was because they had passed, they had instigated Vatican Council I, declaring the Pope to be infallible. And then there was a backlash among Catholics because there were many Catholics who did not agree with the doctrine because it had never been an official doctrine in the Catholic Church before. A lot of people don't realize that today. They hear about papal infallibility. They think it's this ancient doctrine that goes back, you know, for 2,000 years or something, or, or at least 1,000 years, but that's simply not true. It was always in the past, it was like the divine right of kings, or the idea that the king can do no wrong. It was never an official doctrine. It was always this debated issue. But even Luther had said, Martin Luther, back at the time that the Reformation 
began, he said, you can't put your faith in popes and councils because the popes have often erred. In other words, they've made mistakes. Because the only thing we can put our faith in is the Word of God, the Holy Scripture. Because only the Scripture is infallible, is inerrant. God alone is perfect, not any man. And so that, of course, was a cornerstone argument of the Great Reformation. But what happened was, when the Jesuits passed Vatican Council I in 1870, they then tried to impose this new standard on their fellow Catholics in Germany and wanted them fired from their jobs, pushed out of their position wherever they were, whether they were working in a hospital or a school or a university or something that was under the control of the Catholic Church. They were, they were basically persecuting their fellow Catholics over the issue. And you had your old school Catholics who knew that this was not an official doctrine of the church. It never had been for 1,800 years. So they rejected it. And what they did was it was Catholics who were compelling the government to expel the Jesuits, to kick them out because they were causing so many problems. That is something I had not known. And that is a very, very interesting uh, twist in the history of that time period. And we could be coming to another point like that uh, in America and in the Western world, because Catholics know that the Jesuits play a key role in twisting these perversions and pushing them through the Vatican. They know it. They talk about it. Uh, it should be very interesting to see where all of this goes, because we can see what's happening, that as government agents adopt these bizarre policies on LGBT and transgenderism, they want to weaponize them and then use them to fashion laws to punish people who won't go along. And that could very well be leading to... Uh, well, a, a conflict, perhaps even a conflict like this, uh, this new film that they're talking about, this, uh, this uh, film Civil War, which is very clearly depicting a civil war here in the United States. Now, before I talk about that, is I'm going to play you the trailer here shortly, and we're going to listen to some of the audio. Another issue that could be provoking a civil war is this Islamic takeover of the state of Minnesota. The state of Minnesota, which is said to be the... It's become the home to the largest Somali population in the West. Not just in America, in the West, in the Western world, apparently. That's what, they, that's what they're saying. That's what's being reported online. Uh, that... The state of Minnesota right here in the United States is the home to the largest Somali population. Now, why is this? Folks, I'm telling you, if you study what happened before 9-11 and after 9-11, the 9-11 wars, I am convinced that the only purpose of our troops going to Iraq and Afghanistan and these Middle Eastern territories was simply to destabilize them 
and to create the Islamic refugee crisis so they would have an excuse to import as many Muslims as possible. Because this, is, this all goes back to World War II. And I've talked about this. One of our audio CDs uh, on Hitler's Jihad, the socialist plan for Islam to invade the West, this goes back to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and their dream that Islam would have conquered Christianity because they thought Islam was a much better religion for world conquest. That, I believe, is what's behind all of this because that's what's going on with those powers that represented Nazism during the war, whether they're in the Vatican or the European Union, or whether they came to America through Operation Paperclip or the Vatican Rat Lines, whatever the case may be, uh, that program, that desire to promote Islam in the next generation and to somehow or other have it supplant or replace Christianity that is what they're trying to do. Now, they try to get everybody to focus on racial issues. They'll say, oh, the great replacement, they're replacing the white folks. Well, that's partly true. But the real replacement, I believe, they want, they want to displace Christianity. And especially Protestant Christianity. Because Protestant Christianity is based on the Bible political Protestantism, as Samuel Adams referred to it. That's what they want to get rid of. Because political Protestantism is where you get Magna Carta. That's where you get the Petition of Right, the protected private property. That's where you get the English Bill of Rights, where the right to bear arms was officially protected. And all of that combined gets you the U.S. Constitution. And that's what they're trying to eradicate. It's, it's not just the culture of Christianity, but it is specifically the laws that put restraints on government and prevent tyranny from happening. But with Islam and Sharia, you don't have those restraints. We, I mean, Islam and Sharia, that is a system of persecution. That is a system of totalitarian oppression. That's what they want. So now the state of Minnesota, if you go look this up online, just go look up the new Minnesota state flag, is said to be, well, they're, they're claiming, because the old flag, the old flag they're saying was a racist flag because it, it showed like a traditional American prairie and apparently there was a, uh, a, a farmer a white farmer plowing a field and an American Indian riding the other way. And the symbolism was said to be that the, 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 the white colonizer is now plowing the land that once belonged to the Indians and the Indians just now have to leave. That was, that was the impression. That's the way that the old Minnesota flag was being interpreted. So this was seen as a form of racism. So therefore, the flag needed to be gotten rid of. They need to come up with a new flag. So now the new flag is this combination of kind of a dark blue with three stripes with a star 
that is supposed to represent the North Star. Okay, and you, you see it put together. It's not really, really not a bad design for a flag. Uh, it's just got these three stripes, one a light blue, then a green, then a white. And you're looking at it you're going, oh, okay, well, that's not too bad. But then you go look at the flag for Jubaland, Jubaland, J-U-B-A-L-A-N-D, in the state of Somalia, and the flag looks surprisingly the same. Not identical, but very, very close. So there's this, uh, this nearly identical association with Jubaland, and then you have another flag, the flag of Puntland, or Puntland, P-U-N-T-L-A-N-D. And while it doesn't look, I mean, it looks similar to it. It's a different design, but the same basic color scheme. They put the star kind of in the top and the middle of the flag instead of to the left-hand side. It's a slight variation. But Puntland, which is another member state of Somalia, Okay, so Jubaland is a member state of Somalia, and then Puntland, another member state of Somalia. Well, Puntland is where Ilhan Omar is from. And so the new flag looks like it is a kind of a new variation of the theme of Somalia. So it's like the Somalis are claiming the state of Minnesota. And the flag is kind of the Americanized version of their flag or their flags. Uh, Sarah Carter has a, an article on this. In fact, if, if you start to look this up, you'll find a whole series of websites that are talking about it. But Sarah Carter at sarahcarter.com, she says, quote, outrage over Minnesota's new flag looking just like Ilhan Omar's home flag of Somalia. It's... Really unbelievable. Other people are posting articles. For example, PJ Media, they have an article, Conquered. That's the word conquered, meaning the state of Minnesota has been conquered now by the Muslims from Somalia. So conquered, Minnesota's new flag bears a strong resemblance to this flag. And, of course, they're talking about the Ilhan Omar Somalia flag, probably one or both of them. But uh, it's just incredible that we're watching this happen, that this, this is all happening now. Just consider that we never had anything like this. There was no significant Islamic presence in the United States. It was there as an undercurrent, if you watch Steve Emerson's documentary or read his book, Jihad in America, but it wasn't, it was so underground and it was so well hidden. Nobody knew about it. Nobody saw it. And now since 9-11 and the 9-11 wars began, massive immigration of Muslims into the United States, and now they're gaining more and more political power. Now they have enough political power to literally alter the flag of an American state and turn it into something that looks like a completely foreign flag. That's unheard of. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think if there is any other group of people 
I mean, you know, we all know the rainbow flags, but there's no particular rainbow flag that has taken over a state, per se. We haven't seen that. So very, very interesting. Now, in the midst of all this, we have stories like this on jihadwatch.org. Uh, Robert Spencer's got a story. The headline is, quote, Hamas calls for violence against Americans and so does this Michigan imam. So an Islamic leader in Michigan. Now, we all know, or most of you probably know, if you followed the advance of what they call creeping Sharia here in the United States, you know that Dearborn, Michigan is one of the Islamic hotspots in the country. So if you type in Dearborn, Michigan, I just typed it in, the first thing that comes up under Google search, the first image they show you is an Islamic mosque. That's the first thing you see, is a big old Islamic mosque. So that is now becoming the identity of Dearborn, Michigan. And I didn't type in anything else. I didn't type in... Muslims in Dearborn, Michigan. I didn't type in Islam in Michigan. Nothing like that. I just typed in literally Dearborn, Michigan. First thing that comes up, an image of an Islamic mosque. That's what you see. Uh, Wikipedia. On the Wikipedia page, Dearborn, Michigan, they show one of the first things they show is an Islamic mosque. Because they're not even show. I'm trying to. I'm going down their page here. I'm trying to see. Do they even show? Do they show a church? I'm not seeing a church. The Henry Ford Centennial Library. They got that up there. Okay, River Rouge from Henry Ford's estate. They have that. They have the uh, Edward Hotel and Conference Center, Dearborn Skyline. Then the Arab American National Museum in Dearborn. I guess I should say I'm reading these from the bottom up on the Wikipedia page. Arab American National Museum. They've got a museum for Arab Americans. Let's see. What do they have with the Arab American Museum? Of course, it's got a dome on it, like a white dome that you would have in a mosque and the first floor gallery with all this Muslim-looking stuff there. Yeah, Dearborn, Michigan. Now, we've talked about Hamtramck, Michigan before. Hamtramck is the government there. This used to be a, a, a town, Hamtramck, that was populated by Polish Catholics primarily, who were immigrants. Then systematically, over the last 20 years or so, uh, the flow of Islamic immigrants filled up Hamtramck, Michigan, so that now their local city government, their city council and so on, is 100% Muslim. And we've talked about that before, how the media announced when they had an all-Muslim city council that now we have diversity. Now, now there's diversity now that the Muslims have taken over that city. But this is what's, uh, well, you know, they have the, uh, they have other, like the Ford dealership. They have 
other local sites that look more like traditional American sites. But there's no question that, and it, it looks like a mosque, it's officially the Islamic Center of America, Dearborn, Michigan. And I guess we should say they do have an American flag out front. Okay. American flag out front. Now, certainly, peace-loving Muslims, I think most Americans are not really going to object to peace-loving Muslims. But when we see things like what has gone on with Israel right now and Hamas and the conflict over there, and there's thousands, tens of thousands of Islamic Palestinians running around wearing their flag and their colors and so on, and becoming very, very hostile to Americans. And a lot of this rhetoric from the imams is against America. It's, it's very, very much anti-American rhetoric. You know, it's interesting for the research that I've done for the new documentary for American Jesuits, we spend time talking about World War II and the connections with Benito Mussolini and, and the Vatican and Hitler because the Vatican had a connection with both of them. And Hitler and Mussolini were very good friends. And Hitler really admired Mussolini. Mussolini had come to power first. Anyway, when Mussolini started, Mussolini was very, very popular. He was wildly popular. Huge, massive crowds of people would gather to listen to him speak. And, of course, he was this very dynamic speaker with big gestures and a loud voice and this kind of thing. So people would cheer and shout Il Duce and on and on. But that was while he was doing his political grandstanding. Once Hitler came along and the two of them got together and started invading countries and doing things like signing peace treaties with people and then turning around and violating the treaty and betraying the trust of everyone involved and doing these surprise attacks. Well, with, you know, Hitler initially was very, very successful with his blitzkriegs, but Mussolini had attacked Ethiopia and was able to prevail, but then he tried to attack Greece and that didn't go so well. So he lost favor with the common people and the common people turned on him totally. So that what happens is when American forces invade Italy, the Italians are cheering America. And of course, there were many Italians in America, but the Italians in America were very loyal to America and they loved their home country of Italy. There's even videos of uh, Italian-American soldiers during World War II. It's, it's even kind of funny where they're marching down the streets of, of certain towns in Italy and they're knocking on the doors of their families. And, they're, and in one video or film, I guess, at that time, uh, they show an American soldier who is an Italian. He knocks on the door and the door swings open and it was either his mother or his grandmother rushes out and throws her arms around him. And the Italians in America were actually very happy that America was invading Italy and getting rid of Mussolini because they thought he was bad for Italy. He was a, a terrible leader. He was leading them into all of these acts of treachery that the Italian people did not want to be part of. 
You see, that's the difference. So Italian-Americans were very faithful and loyal to America during that time in spite of the conflict. That's not at all what you have with this Palestinian Muslim issue. Palestinian Muslims are not loyal to America. They're not loyal to our country. They're only here because they want to make money and gain opportunities. But, but they also want to turn our country into an Islamic country. And if they can't do that, they're going to become more and more hostile along the way. It's a big difference. It's a big, big difference. And if people would go and study what happened during World War II and consider that dynamic, can consider the difference between the two. The, the Italian immigrants did not have this divided loyalty. Now, I know I come from an Italian family on my father's side. My dad served in the U.S. military 23 years. He was always a very, very loyal American, uh, without question. And virtually all the Italians on my side of the family, from New York to Florida, and yeah, we had you know, family members living in New York, out on Long Island, out on Staten Island, in Queens, and we had some that were down in Florida, my Uncle Tony and my Aunt Pat. Uh, I mean, but everyone loyal to this country, love this country. I think it's a very different dynamic, though, with with the Islamic immigrants. Their loyalty is divided. They are not entirely loyal to our country. And you got more and more people talking about this massive wave of immigrants coming in millions of people all at once, unvetted. They don't have any loyalty to our country that anybody could prove. And so, yeah, you've got people speculating, where is all this headed? All of these um, divisions and all of the political discord that we have in Washington, D.C. And with Black Lives Matter and Antifa and now the, the Palestinian radicals running up and down the streets. These are these are massive divisions that have gone on in our country. And now you have this uh, new Hollywood movie called Civil War that a lot of people have been talking about, and they're wondering, are the, the, the powers that be uh, projecting something about the future that, that they're planning? Is, is this all kind of uh, predicted programming, kind of like what they did with the coronavirus, where they had all these films that are talking about a virus coming in and society being turned upside down by it and this kind of thing. Uh, and they were programming people to get used to the idea. Could this new Civil War movie that's supposed to come out next year, could this be some kind of predictive programming? Who knows? But it is it's a film that's not set far into the future. It's not like Road Warrior with Mel Gibson, where it's some post-apocalyptic setting where you're thinking, OK, maybe in 50 or 100 years or something. No, it's set as though this uh, is something that could happen in six months or a year or two years, something like that. Something in the very near future. Let me get that alarm there and shut that off because we don't need to hear that right now. But anyway, so here's what I want to do. I want to play a little bit of this uh, trailer 
And then we're going to talk about some of the things that are being said in the trailer. I'm not going to play the whole thing. If you want to watch the whole thing, it's over two minutes long, but you can find it on YouTube. A lot of people are talking about it. But here, let's listen to the first part. This is Civil War from a studio called A24 and director Alex Garland. Here it is. Listen. States Army ramps up activity. The White House issued warnings to the Western forces as well as the Florida Alliance. The three-term president assures the uprising will be dealt with swiftly. Let me know if you want to try anything I'm just aware there's like a pretty huge civil war going on all across America. We just try to stay out with what we see on the news. Seems like it's for the best. Citizens of America. The so-called Western forces of Texas and California have suffered a very great defeat at the hands of the United States military. Mr. President, do you regret the use of airstrikes against American citizens? We're moving to D.C. today. We need to go down there. They shoot journalists on sight in the Capitol. Every instinct in me says this is death. Bloody. Every time I survived the war zone, I thought I was sending a warning home. Don't do that. But here we are. There's some kind of misunderstanding here. What? We're American, okay? Okay. What kind of American are you? You don't know? <laughs> okay, so we're just cutting it off right there. Uh, that's about, what is that? Is that is that maybe half the trailer? Yeah, it's a little bit more than half the trailer. I wanted to play it to the point where the guy says, what, what kind of Americans are you? And he says, you don't know? And then they, then they, pull their guns up and start pointing their guns in the trailer. And who knows where it goes from there. We'll have to see the, the finished film. But the reference to the president dropping bombs on the American people, and they ask the question in the trailer, Mr. President, do you regret dropping bombs on the American people? That seems to suggest strongly that the president would be somebody like Joe Biden. The reason I say that is because it was Biden who made the comment that if you're going to fight against the federal government, you need to get an F-14. You need a fighter plane. Why? Because that's what you're going to be up against. You're going to be up against the U.S. military. And, and if need be, the federal government will drop bombs on people, apparently. Personally, I think that is kind of a far-fetched scenario. Hopefully we don't find out. But uh, the reason I mention it is it seems to be a, an idea of civil war very much from a left-wing liberal perspective and sort of their view of what they think a civil war in America would be, what it would look like. Now, one of the things, one of the interesting uh, parts of it is where they're in the store and the guy is saying at the beginning, he's saying, you know, there's like this pretty serious civil war going on. And the girl, she works in the store and she says, yeah, we just try to stay out of it, you know. And uh, and then she says that from what she hears on TV, it sounds like it's necessary. 
Now, who would say it was necessary? Right now, the rhetoric coming from the left when they have Black Lives Matter burning down the country, when they have Antifa attacking and assaulting people, they have the Palestinian radicals out tearing down American flags, rioting, this kind of thing. And you have comments coming from the left where at one point in the middle of all this Palestinian stuff, one of them said, well, what do they think decolonization is going to look like? Words to that effect. So all of that right now, anyway, makes me think, gives me the impression that this is very much a left-wing view of what they think a civil war in our country would look like. It'll be interesting. The, the film is supposed to come out this spring. Uh, I think it's a, a it's very you know it's very interesting the difference between this film and the original movie Red Dawn, because in the movie Red Dawn it's very clear we're being invaded by the communists and the Americans band together they form the Wolverines and they go out and they fight the enemy. It's more of a clear hey we're the Americans we're fighting the commie invaders. This now is a different view of a war on American soil. It's a civil war where obviously Americans are fighting one against another. It's, it's not an, um, an external enemy that's invaded. It's the, the enemy is within. Very, very disturbing that our country's been brought to this point. As I've said many times before, we need to be in prayer. We need to seek the Lord for what the Lord would have us to do in this time. Now, a lot of people are not taking the film overly seriously. A lot of people don't really think it's a realistic view of something that would actually happen anywhere in the near future. Uh, but it's very interesting that the powers at work in our system are releasing films like this. And yes, we're going to show you in our new film, American Jesuits, when we talk about the Jesuits and the deep state, we're going to show you that the deep state, in what I believe is modern Jesuit theater, has a massive amount of control over Hollywood and the films that are being produced. So these films that are being produced, at least at that Hollywood level, you know, where they make it into theaters and they have those kind of budgets, there's no question. They are, they are, they, there is a tremendous amount of oversight from uh, the CIA, the NSA, the, the, whole, the whole apparatus. And we're going to show you in, in this upcoming film in no uncertain way that there is a very, very direct connection to the Jesuit order. There's no kind of sort of maybe. It is very, very direct. And we're going to show it to you. I'm going to show you how all of this began, really, back during World War II. A lot of people don't realize that our intelligence network going back to the OSS was involved with Hollywood filmmakers right from the beginning. I mean, it's, it's just an incredible story. It's incredible. But that is just one part of American Jesuits that we're going to be showing you in this upcoming film. But I think it has something to do, although I, I really don't know what these deep state powers are up to why they uh, would want a film produced called Civil War. Although if we assume that Rome and the Vatican is behind it, 
if, if we assume that line of thinking and that the real war that's happening is happening at our southern border, I mean, it's happening is there's destabilization going on politically through the courts and through the schools and that kind of thing. But the, the practical war are these millions and millions of illegal aliens that are coming into the country every single day. And this, of course, we believe is the process of irredentism, immigration warfare against the United States. And I think a lot of people don't realize how long this has been going on. I stumbled on a some information from the book by Paul Serap, Who Killed Abraham Lincoln, where Paul Serap talks about Charles Chinake and all the information showing that his testimony about the Jesuits killing Lincoln uh, is almost certainly correct. But then uh, Paul Serap goes on. He has a section of the book where he's talking about Rome in the world today, what's happening in modern times. Anyway, I'm just going to read a couple of lines here. This has to do with the situation of the systematic illegal immigration into our country. And this goes back, this quote goes back to 1995. Listen to this. So here's what Paul Serap writes. He says, quote, Statements by prominent University of California professor Armando Navarro agree with Spencer's comments. Okay. And he's quoting somebody named Spencer, who is a Glenn Spencer, president of Voices of Citizens Together, etc. That, uh, that, and what this guy Spencer had said is that if this illegal immigration continues, he says, quote, I believe that it will be irreversible and that it will most certainly lead to a breakup of the United States. Okay, so that's what this guy Glenn Spencer said back in 2002. So that's the Spencer. So then he goes on and he says, um, statements by prominent University of California professor Armando Navarra agree with Spencer's comments. In a 1995 speech, Navarro declared that the U.S. Southwest is being changed. Power is being steadily transferred into Latino hands, making possible the self-determination of the area and even the idea of Aztlan, A-Z-T-L-A-N. According to Mexican tradition, Aztlan, the mystical birthplace of the Aztecs, is made up of the land mass that includes California, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, and portions of Texas and Colorado. In a more recent interview, Navarro indicated that if democratic and social trends remain the same in the American Southwest, the inevitable result will be secession. Now, I've talked about this before from a slightly different angle, and that is what they call the uh, reconquista, the reconquest of America by Mexico. We're going we're gonna to just give you a brief little bit of history 
Let's go back to the American Civil War. Symbolically, what are they doing? They're Right now, they are trying to tear down the Civil War monument, the Reconciliation Monument from the American Civil War. Now, during the American Civil War, what happened in the first American Civil War? We all know about the North and the South and the Confederates and the Union, etc. What a lot of people are not aware of is Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo is actually a celebration of the Battle of Puebla and really what was called the First Battle of Puebla. That's Cinco de Mayo, May May 5th. And that's really a celebration of when the Mexicans defeated the French, the French who had invaded Mexico and tried to conquer it. Now, according to Charles Chinnake, the Roman Catholic priest who was the friend of Abraham Lincoln back in the 1800s, and who believed that, that Rome and the Jesuits were behind the assassination of Lincoln, according to Chinnake, the reason the French were invading was because they were in cahoots with the Pope. And this was kind of a, a French and papal, and this is France under Napoleon III, not to be confused with the original Napoleon, but a later Napoleon, Napoleon III, working with the Vatican, and supposedly they had envisioned this Mexican empire that was going to include Mexico and presumably part of the United States of America. And to make this deal happen, the French were going to invade Mexico, hopefully conquer it, and then keep going north into the U.S. and help the Confederacy defeat Abraham Lincoln. But of course, it didn't happen because when they got to the Battle of Puebla, they were defeated by the Mexicans. And that really completely sabotaged their whole plan because here they're thinking they're going to win. They didn't win. They end up losing. They come and they fight the second Battle of Puebla. The French won the second time and they occupied Mexico City. But still, it weakened their forces. They were not able to move as easily through Mexico as they had hoped. And then once the American Civil War comes to an end, what happens is the United States begins to send financial aid and arms down to Mexico to help them defeat the French. And it would appear, I've still got to research uh, a lot of this, but you can just go read kind of a general outline online. It appears that the U.S. government was aware of the danger of having France come up through Mexico and that, yes, they quite possibly, probably were going to be in cahoots with the Confederates. It appears they were aware of that. They were certainly aware of the fact that the Pope was the only world leader who had officially acknowledged the Southern Confederacy through a a letter to Jefferson Davis. So, and that there's all kinds of controversies that went on during the first American Civil War. I find it very interesting that right now the radicals want to tear down the Reconciliation Monument from the Civil War. Tear that down. Why would they want to tear that down? It's almost like they're trying to revive the Civil War. And we need to understand that there was a lot more going on than just the North and the South. There was the interest of the Vatican, 
the Jesuits, they were both in favor of the slave trade. And the French, of course, were involved uh, because they were envisioning this Mexican empire. Is it possible that the powers of Europe are in cahoots with Rome once again? Are they trying to provoke another civil war here in the United States? Who knows? But there are historic elements in, in play, at play. And there's no way around it. We are having a civil war. It's kind of an unofficial civil war because we're being massively invaded by these millions of aliens at the instigation of the Democratic Party. And as we discuss with my interview with uh, Doug Thornton, the men who are coming across are fighting age men. Overwhelmingly, fighting age men are crossing the border. There are very few women and children. We're, we're, there's all this emphasis supposedly on the women and the children, but the reality is the overwhelming majority are fighting age men who, in theory, could be turned into an armed force in a very short period of time and be organized and fighting against we the people fighting against our country. That's why the question from this trailer, what sort of American are you? That's a very interesting question. So who knows? We'll have to see the whole film and we'll have to see how events unfold here in 2024. But uh, we, in spite of these things, we remember that our hope is in God and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the scripture says God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Praise the Lord. All right, brethren, that is going to do it for us today. That is our show. We'll stop it there. But we will be back next time. Until then, God bless you guys. I'm Chris Pinto, and you've been listening to Noise of Thunder Radio. Noise of Thunder Radio.